Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. You know, I know you might be out there thinking, Stephen, don't you know that you're starting the Christmas season, or that you're starting the Christmas series early and it's only November 22nd? Yes and yes. And the first reason why is this is going to be an amazing series and we want you to get to see as much of it as possible. And the second reason is there's nothing wrong with starting the Christmas season just a little bit early. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, there are some people among us who begin to sip eggnog and listen to Josh Groban's Christmas album on November 1st. And by some people, I mean me, okay? I admit, I'm an early Christmas person. I, I am one of those crazy freaks who celebrate Christmas early. Does anybody else here like that? Anybody else? Thank you, I am glad. You, be proud, guys, be proud. And you know what, to all of you out there like me, guys, we really need to stick together, okay? Because we have been marginalized, we have been cast aside. We have been mocked by the very people who claim to be our relatives. <laughs> and it's just because we have such great enthusiasm for the season, right? I mean, I am an early Christmas person because I love Christmas. I mean, I'm pretty sure there is microscopic tinsel on my DNA and possibly traces of gingerbread in my bones, okay? I just... I love Christmas, and I want it sooner rather than later, okay? And, and to any of you out there who believe that the early Christmas crowd is a little crazy, I just want to make my argument right now, okay? Here, th think about this. They say that Christmas time is the most wonderful time of the year. If you started early, all you did was just add to the wonder, all right? You get a little extra wonder. And so... You know, I mean, I, even when I was a kid, I had people try to convince me that it is illegal to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. I actually had people try to convince me. So you know what I did this week? I looked it up. And in the state of Kansas, in Sedgwick County, in the city of Wichita, it is perfectly legal to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. As long as you wear a mask while you do it. Um, <laughs> uh, Christmas is coming early to New Spring Church, and there is nothing wrong with that, okay? Uh, but here's the thing. I, in all seriousness, I really do believe that this series is going to change your life. And the reason I say that is because the Bible says there is power in the name of Jesus. The Bible says there is power in the name of Jesus. You know, 2,000 years ago, an angel visited the carpenter Joseph, and the angel explained to him why his fiance Mary was pregnant. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I love that last line, he will save his people from their sins, because that's you and I. 
He will save us from our sins. You know, there is one lesson that all of us can take away from 2020. There is one lesson we can all take away, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, whether you come from a different religious background than Christianity, whether you believe in God or you don't. There's one lesson all of us can take away from 2020, and that is we are not capable of saving ourselves. We are not capable of saving ourselves. As, as a human race, we are not capable of fixing the brokenness that we see all around us. We need somebody who can do what we can't do. We need somebody who can fix what we can't fix. And there's only one person in the history of the world who has proven that he has the power to solve humanity's brokenness. And the reason why he has the power to solve humanity's brokenness is because he paid on a cross for humanity's brokenness. And three days later, he walked out of the grave, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's what, that, that's what we're talking about. And don't tell me that he's just a historical figure, because I know he's alive right now. And, and, and don't, don't tell me he's just the leader of a religion because he didn't create a religion. He created the opportunity for a relationship. Don't tell me that he's just a man because a regular man cannot make blind people see, deaf people hear, and dead people come alive. And don't, don't tell me that he's just a philosopher because philosophy only gives us the ability to study knowledge. Jesus has allowed us to study the face of God. He is more than all of those things. He is more than all of it. He is so much more. He is the son of God. 2,000 years ago, the angel told Joseph, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save the people who cannot save themselves. Praise God for that. And, and, and like I said, this year, we've, this year we've learned we can't fix ourselves. But maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Stephen, you know, that's all well and good, but I don't know if I need this. I mean, I'm not sure if I need Jesus because, you know what, I, I mean, I, I, I'm okay, all right? I'm okay. I mean, I, 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 I can handle this. I've got me. And you know what? I think there's a part of all of us that wants to be self-sufficient, self-made, self-empowered. And so a lot of people reject the gospel on that premise it's, sometimes it's very hard for people to realize their need for God. I remember reading this story about a guy on a construction site who was, you know, really buff. He was really strong. And uh, he liked to brag about how strong he was. He was always talking about how much he can lift and how many reps he can do and how much protein he ate, you know. And he, he started giving this old man on the construction site a hard time. He would make fun of him. He would poke fun at him. And so eventually the old man just had it. And so he said, you know what, kid? Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? I bet you a whole week's pay that I can wheel something in a wheelbarrow over to that building and back that you can't wheel. Or I, he said, I bet you I can wheel something over to that building that you can't wheel back. And the kid thought, you know what, this, uh, th this is great. I mean, easy money. So the young guy said, you're on, old man. I'll take that bet. And so the old man reached out and grabbed the wheelbarrow and turned to the young guy and said, all right, kid, get in. If 2020 teaches us anything, it's that you don't have the ability to push your own wheelbarrow. You know, you can't carry you. I can't carry me. Jesus is the only one who has the ability to carry us. And Christmas is the celebration of that. Christmas is the celebration of that. 
And throughout this series, we're just going to talk about Jesus, if that's okay with you. And, and I want to bring you a message called Prince of Peace. You know, one of the most, in fact, I would consider the, the most famous verse in the Bible about Christmas is Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you know what I love about this? This was written hundreds of years before Jesus, and yet it described him. That's incredible. I mean, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, was already prophesying about who Jesus would be. And Isaiah said, in the future, God is going to bring us the Prince of Peace. How, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? What I'd like to focus on is those last three words where it says Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Right now, we need the Prince of Peace more than we've ever needed him before. If I, went around, if I went around to just random people in Wichita and I stuck a mic in their face and said, what do you want for Christmas? I, I think most people would say, you know, a little bit of extra cash would be great. Uh, but if I asked them, what do you want from a spiritual and emotional standpoint? I think most people would say, I just want peace. You know, I just want peace inside. I want to have peace with the people around me. I want peace in our country. I want peace in our nation. I want peace in our world. I think that whether I was talking to people who spent their lives in church or people who come from a different background, no matter what, I think everybody would give me that answer. And, and that's, that's my Christmas wish too. I want peace. I want peace in our world. Who doesn't? And you know what I find interesting is when you, when you sing the Christmas carols, they talk about peace all the time. I mean, think about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I mean, the song says, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, God and Sinners Reconcile. And then you fast forward in the song, it says, Hail the Heaven-Born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness. And then my favorite, in O Holy Night, it says, Truly He taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Those songs are incredible, aren't they? And the reason why those songs are so incredible is they speak of peace. Are those just empty promises? No. It's true. Every word of it's true. And the reason why... The reason why we think about peace when we celebrate Christmas is Christmas celebrates the Prince of Peace. And, but I think we need to ask a very practical question, and that is, what does this peace look like? You know, what does this look like in a concrete way? Well, I think there's three kinds of peace that Jesus offers us. First of all, peace of mind. Second of all, peace between us and other people. And finally, peace with God. And all three of those kinds of peace are important. All of them are important. Let's talk about that first one really quick, peace of mind. I don't know about you, but the most vicious battles I have ever fought in my life are between my ears. If I had a conversation with God and God said, Stephen, I will heal anything you want me to heal, I would immediately point to my head and say, I would like you to heal this. It is extremely important in your life to have peace of mind. You know, I noticed that CNN and Fox and NBC and all the rest of them, they want to talk all day about coronavirus. And you know what? I'm grateful for that because I want to hear how the situation is going. But I noticed that they often ignore a crisis that is much more widespread, and that is the mental health crisis. 
Right now, we are a nation that is desperately looking for peace of mind. But I'm here to give you really good news. Because, you know, in a few weeks, we're going to have Christmas and we're going to open gifts. You know, in the book of John, Jesus says he has a gift for all of us. And we don't have to wait for Christmas to open it because it's got your name on it. In the book of John, Jesus says, I love this so much. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. That's the best gift you could ever get for Christmas. I don't know about you, but I want some of that. (laughs) Uh, And I'll be honest, nobody needs to hear this message more than me. I mean, if you look up the word anxiety in the dictionary, you're going to find my picture, all right? If you look up the word paranoid in the dictionary, you will find my picture. Uh, and one, one thing I've learned in my life is that if I want real peace, if I want to go from an unhealthy place to a healthy place, I need the kind of peace that only God can offer. I need that kind of peace. And I love that line where Jesus says, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Isn't that powerful? You know... In a way, what Jesus is saying is once you get a taste of the kind of peace that I can offer you, nothing else is going to cut it. Nothing else will do. You know, a few years ago on this very stage, a miracle happened. I got married. And uh, I don't know how she puts up with me, all right? She's a saint. Elle is a saint. And she puts up with me. I don't know how anybody does that. But we got married five years ago, and we honeymooned in Hawaii, which... Here's the thing, no offense to Kansas, okay? But I'm pretty sure heaven looks a lot like Hawaii. It is gorgeous. And, and you know, we, we, were driving around in a, we were driving around in a rental car in Hawaii, and we were looking at the mountains and the ocean, because you know how us Kansans are. When we see mountains and ocean, we try to take a mental picture because we get neither, all right? <laughs> and so we're driving around, and I tell Elle, I'm like, it cannot get any better than this. This is as good as it gets. But then I saw something that changed my life forever. There was a sign for this little cafe uh, that sold... Uh, fresh tropical smoothies. And when I say fresh, what I mean is they basically pick the fruit off the vine and throw it in the blender right in front of you. And, and, they, you know, and so I, we had to pull in, all right? We had to get out of the car and go to this place. And you know, sure enough, the guy like, I mean, there's just like, the guy's got mangoes and papayas and bananas and like all kinds of stuff, stuff I can't even pronounce. I mean, it's just wonderful. And he puts it in the blender and he hands it to me. And the guy who handed me the smoothie was kind of one of those hipster surfer guys. And so this smoothie is the only thing I'm going to try that he hands me, all right? But uh, he, he handed me this concoction of tropical glory, okay? It was just amazing. And when I tried it, Elle will tell you, I got emotional, okay? Because to this day, to this day, it is the best thing I have ever tasted in my life. I mean, I was just, I was just like having an out-of-the-body experience, all right? So, so Elle, Elle looked at me, and she was like, are you still here? You know? And so she was like, and so Elle, Elle asked me, she said, do you like it? And I said, do I like it? I mean, this is my second favorite part of the honeymoon. I don't know if I should have said that. I, <laughs> Well, uh, uh, eventually, um, eventually we had to go home, all right? 
because, uh, uh, you know, if we would have stayed in Hawaii, it would have cost millions of dollars, and I'm not Bill Gates, so we had to go home. Um, and so uh, when we got home, uh, Elle and I went to a smoothie place here in Wichita, and this place does really good work. I mean, they make some great stuff. And Elle, Elle you know, handed it to me, and I tried it, and I had to hand it right back to her. And Elle said, what's wrong? And I said, I'm ruined. I'm just absolutely ruined. I can never have a smoothie not in Hawaii ever again in my life. Everything, like I told Elle, I said, I had the best in the universe, and so everything else is just going to taste wrong. And I mean, I just, I just said, I can never have a smoothie again unless I'm in Hawaii. And, you know, and here's the thing. I am not trying to compare the peace of God to a tropical fruit smoothie, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. That's not my goal. But what I am saying is that When Jesus says, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, what he's saying is once once you get a taste of the kind of peace that I have the ability to offer you, nothing else will do. Everything else will taste bitter in comparison to what I have to offer you. You know, Jesus is saying once you get a taste of my ability to turn anxiety into assurance, once you get a taste of my ability to turn fear into courage, Once you get a taste of my ability to turn addiction into recovery, once you get a taste of my ability to turn sadness into joy, nothing else will cut it because because you're you're not going to be getting a taste of the world. You're going to be getting a taste of heaven, and nothing is as great as that. Nothing is as great as that. You know, you can try to get your peace from how much you have in your bank account or from your career or from your social connections or from your accomplishments, But at the end of the day, Jesus says that all of those things are completely bitter in comparison to the sweetness of a love-filled relationship with the God who created you. And and, and maybe you're saying, Stephen, why are you using words like sweetness and taste? Is this really biblical? Have you ever read Psalm 34, 8? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But maybe you're out there asking, Stephen, how? How does God give me peace no matter what I'm up against? And that's a good question. That's a good question, and it deserves a good answer. I want to tell you a story really quick. In the book of Mark, chapter 4, Jesus tells his disciples to get in a boat and to cross from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other. And Jesus tells the disciples, hey, guys, I'm kind of tired. I think I'm going to take a nap. And you guys, you guys sail. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't give them the most important detail, which is the fact that on the way from one part of the sea to the other, they're going to run into the worst storm these guys have ever seen in their lives. And sure enough, Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat, but during the night, they run into this storm that basically has them screaming. I mean, it is awful. The waves are the size of mountains. The wind is cracking the boat. I mean, it is awful. And (laughs) basically, the disciples are running around telling each other, we're going to die. I mean, we are going to die. And let's take a time out for a second. Isn't it kind of ridiculous for the disciples to be running around saying we're going to die when they have the Son of God in their boat? But at the same time, isn't it kind of ridiculous for us to be running around right now saying it's the end of the world when we have the Son of God in our hearts? Just food for thought. But, you know, I'll get back to the story. But what happens, what happens next is what I want to talk about because the disciples go down to the bottom of the boat and wake Jesus up. And I have to see this. I, I, want, to, I want to see this on tape, okay? 
because the disciples wake Jesus up and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Okay, we're talking about, the disciples have seen him feed thousands of people with a sack lunch. They've seen him do incredible miracles and they say, we're gonna die, we're gonna drown, it's over, all this stuff. And the disciples, and, and Jesus doesn't even give them a response. This is, all, this is what Jesus does. He shows them. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And then it says the disciples were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know what the disciples realized in that moment? It is a massive mistake to give the storm power over you when you know the one who has power over the storm. It is a massive mistake. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you have access to the God who has authority and dominion over anything that possibly is bothering you. And that access, the access you have to God gives you the power to, to tell the storm, you don't own me. When you know God, you can tell anxiety, you don't own me. When you know God, you can tell depression, you don't own me anymore. When you know God, you can tell fear, you don't own me. When you know God, you can tell cancer, you don't own me. When you know God, you can tell the devil, you don't own me. Because, because here's the thing, the storm has no power when you know the God who has power over the storm. It has no power at all. You know, I read a story about this farmer who spotted a Bengal tiger on his property. And uh, it was kind of weird because this didn't happen in India. This happened in the Midwest. So a little suspect, all right? But he got really scared, you know, because he saw a Bengal tiger walk on his property and it looked huge. I mean, and so he, I mean, he panicked. He thought this tiger is going to eat the cows. It's going to eat me. It's going to eat everybody else. And so he calls the cops. And he says, hey, you guys got to get down here. I got a Bengal tiger on my property. I mean, apparently he thought that Carol Baskin let one loose or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, the tiger shows up and he's panicking. He calls the cops and the cops take it seriously, okay, because some people own exotic cats and for some crazy reason. And so, you know, they think it's just an escaped tiger. So the cops send some people down there. But then, of course, the cops are not trained to harness tigers. So they have to call the wildlife department and say, can you guys come here and send animal control? So for 45 minutes, they have to wait for animal control, and there is a standoff between the tiger and the, the police. And so they're sort of forming a perimeter. And what's, what's, really, what, what's really interesting is like when, when the wildlife people got there and animal control got there, they were finally able to start to approach this deadly tiger. So they got a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And what they realized was the closer they got, they realized it wasn't making any growling sounds. It wasn't making any noise. And when they finally got close enough to look at it, they realized the tiger was stuffed. And what's crazy is it was life size. I mean, it was to scale. I mean, it was the size of a tiger and it was stuffed. And as you can imagine, the cops got the biggest laugh of their lives out of this, all right? And so they actually took it back with them to the precinct and made it the office mascot. Uh, now, <laughs> you know, that, that's a funny story, you know, but what I, find, what I find interesting is that tiger looked really intimidating, it looked really scary, and it freaked a lot of people out, but at the end of the day, it was no threat because the, the, it was stuffed. And what I find interesting is, 
You know, you and I freak out about a lot of different things right now, stuff that looks really scary, stuff that looks really intimidating, and we wonder what's going on with that. But here's the thing. If you've got God in your life, the tiger's always stuffed. I I just need to tell you, the tiger's always stuffed. Because if it's no threat to God, then it's absolutely no threat to you whatsoever. It's no threat to you. It can't touch you. And, 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 and that's what we need to understand because I don't know about you, but I worry about all kinds of stuff. I worry about stuff all day long. And what I need to realize is that a lot of the stuff that bothers me a lot, a lot if, I could, if we could have a five-minute conversation with God, God would sit us down and say, it is not what you think it is. You think it's one way, but in reality, it's another. You think that this is the end, but really, this is just the beginning. Just hold on. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't give up. The first kind of peace that Jesus gives us is peace in mind. I really got to move fast. I'm so sorry. The second kind of peace that God gives us is peace with others. Let's take a deep breath on this one. Um, do, do you guys have anybody in your family to where every time you meet for Thanksgiving, they, no matter what the topic of discussion is, they always want to talk about politics? That person is interesting, right? And the reason why I know that is in my family, I am that person, all right? <laughs> I, I am known for this. I, I have extremely strong opinions about everything, and I want everybody to know my opinions. It's as simple as that. Um, and on top of being opinionated, I just want to debate about everything. I want to debate about everything. I mean, the other day, I, I get so serious about debate. The other day, I got into a really hardcore debate with someone about whether NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys were better. <laughs> Which, by the way, it's totally NSYNC, hands down. You cannot convince me otherwise. Um, I mean, how could anybody, you know what, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but here's what bothers me, all right? I am a loose cannon. I am an extremely loudmouth person about my opinions. And even, even I, even when I look around, I feel like stuff's getting overboard, all right? It's going way, way overboard. And I'm not just talking about social media, I'm just talking about everywhere. And I know I haven't always lived up to this, and I wish I would have. My dad used to always teach me growing up that when you debate someone, you attack ideas and not people. And it's always about the content of your argument and not about hurting somebody. And man, I wish I would have always lived up to that. The difficult thing about where we are today is that there's a whole lot of shouting back and forth, and there's not much understanding. It's, it's all about attacking, and it's not about understanding. I mean, when I watch the news anchors on TV, they remind me a lot of when my two toddlers are arguing over a toy, except I'm pretty sure my toddlers are having a much more intelligent conversation, and they're, they're giving each other a lot more respect, all right? <laughs> I mean, that's what we're dealing with. But it's not just politics. Politics is just a small slice of the pie. I mean, it goes beyond that. I mean, you think about personal relationships. You think about the way husbands and wives talk to each other and the way parents and children talk to each other. And sometimes it feels like a verbal war zone, right? And and here's the thing. This is my challenge. Even if you feel right now like possibly your marriage or your home life is sort of a verbal war zone, you know, it doesn't have to stay that way. You know, Satan just wants us to believe that if it's this way right now, that it's always got to be this way. It doesn't have to be that way. Because God taught us peace. He taught us to have peace. And you know, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but have you ever noticed that a lot of times when we use hurtful words, a lot of times we don't even mean it? You know, I don't know how many times I've said the most hurtful things to Elle, and a lot of times I'm not even mad at her. I'm mad about something else that happened that day, or I'm mad about something that I can't control, and I just take it out on her. I'm not even mad at her. Here's the thing. Only Jesus has the ability to set us straight in this department. 
Only Jesus. That's why it says in Ephesians, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. In the verbal war zone, that is 2020, you might be saying, Stephen, I don't know if I agree with that because how am I supposed to convince somebody without letting them have it? And I get it. I'm a loose cannon. All right. I know what you're saying. But, but here's the thing. Jesus is asking us to fight our battles with kindness and not with hostility. And I got a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Um, I like to watch a lot of debates between, you know, Christian leaders and atheists because I'm fascinated by it. I like to see both sides present their evidence and talk about what they think. And a few years back, I was watching a debate between a very, very well-known Christian leader. If I said his name, you would all know who it is. And I watched a debate between him and a very famous atheist. And when I watched it, it made me sick because the guy who was representing our side, the guy on the Christian side... I mean, he's, everything he said, I agree with, but he was a jerk. And he had this hostile attitude. And I thought to myself, anybody who walked into that room an atheist walked out of that room an atheist. But a year later, I watched a different debate between a very well-known Christian leader and a very well-known atheist. In this debate, the atheist was Richard Dawkins, who was the most famous atheist on the planet. His books are everywhere. He's extremely well-known. And the Christian leader was John Lennox who is the professor of mathematics at Oxford University, but he's also a committed Christ follower and one of the greatest thinkers of our age. I mean, I sort of look at John Lennox as sort of a modern-day C.S. Lewis. He's a genius. And I noticed something. John, John wasn't hostile at all. The entire debate, he had this big smile on his face. And, you know, there were times where you know, there were times where Richard would kind of try to lob sort of a hand grenade over to, over to John's side. But I noticed that every single time, John Lennox, he just had the most kind attitude, and he was so nice. And, you know, he's Irish, and so he had this thick Irish accent, and he had the Irish wit. And John would always say, you know, Richard, I can't blame you for saying that, but with all due respect, this is why I believe the way that I do. <laughs> and I was just watching this just spellbound because, you know, What's interesting to me is John won the debate by a lot. I mean, he took, I mean, he dismantled and demolished atheism like I've never seen anyone do it before. He won every single argument. And, but what was interesting to me is he did it with the most kind, non-confrontational manner. And that's what made him so convincing. It's what made him so convincing. And I know that I have not always lived up to this myself, but I'm telling you the best, people to, the best way to win people over is to do it kindly. And you know, you can't force anybody to see your point of view on anything. You know, people have to make up their own minds. And yes, we live in a verbal war zone, but just because we live in a war zone doesn't mean we have to participate. And just because we're surrounded by a war doesn't mean you have to shoot. And man, I need, to, I need this lesson myself. You know. Uh, you guys know I'm a history freak, and I always have been. And my favorite, Christmas, my favorite Christmas story from history happened in December of 1914. This was during World War I. And, you know, World, this, just a little bit of history here. World War II had a very clear purpose. You know, the Nazis had taken over Germany. They had turned Germany into an empire of evil, and they were trying to take over the world. We had to stop them. World War II had a very righteous purpose to it. 
World War I, to this day, a lot of historians have a hard time telling us exactly why it happened. In fact, a lot of the young men who fought in World War I didn't even understand why they were having to fight because the world looked about the same at the end of it as it did at the beginning, except a whole lot more people died. 40 million people died in World War I, and a lot of people don't even understand why. Well, around Christmas of 1914, the British and the Germans were fighting each other. And, you know, the German soldiers were just exhausted. They were tired, they were out of food, they were just exhausted. And so they decided that they wanted to do something to acknowledge that it was Christmas. And so they started lighting lanterns and putting up small Christmas trees. And they started singing a song called Stil Nacht. And the British on the other side were wondering what on earth is going on because, you know, it's Christmas Eve, but they see all these lanterns and they start singing. And the British have no idea what Stil Nacht means. They don't speak German. But they start listening to the melody and they realize it means silent night. They're singing silent night. And the British decided, look, you can't shoot at someone singing silent night, okay? That is a crime against God. And so... The British decided, you know what, we're supposed to be fighting tonight, but you know, why don't we sing along? And so the British started singing along with the opponents on the other side, and they started singing Silent Night together, and then after that Christmas carol was over, they sang another song, and another song, and another song. These guys that had been shooting at each other for months sang Christmas carols together. And it, it went beyond that, because the next morning, they decided to call a truce, and soldiers from both trenches crossed the trenches and shook hands, wished each other Merry Christmas, exchanged gifts, took photographs with each other, and played soccer. It's incredible. It's one of the greatest things that has ever happened in history. For 24 hours, these soldiers saw the humanity in one another and decided that fighting was not a good idea. And the only reason why they started fighting again is because their commanding officers told them they had to. These men realized that when you celebrate the Prince of Peace at Christmas, it is impossible to have hatred in your heart towards other people. It is impossible. Because Christmas is a reminder that Jesus brings people together. People that normally wouldn't even see eye to eye on things. Jesus has the ability to bring people together. And Jesus is asking us to fight our battles through love, compassion, and understanding. Because those are the greatest tools in your toolbox for bringing people together. That's the second kind of peace. I promise I'm going to finish soon. The final kind of peace is peace with God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 5, 9 through 10. It says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What so many people don't understand is that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, we were made the enemies of God. But God sent his son to die on a cross so that way we wouldn't have to be the enemies of God anymore. We could become the children of God. Have you ever seen someone, have you ever seen a peacemaker settle a fight? And parents, you guys all know about this. Have you ever seen someone settle a fight where with one hand they take one person and with another hand they take the other person and they bring them together? When you see Jesus on a cross, it makes sense that his arms are outstretched because with one hand he had God and with the other hand he had us and he brought us together. And he took away the war between us and God. He settled it. And if you're sitting there right now and you're saying, Stephen, I don't even, I don't have God in my heart. I've never accepted Christ. You might have been in church your whole life. You might have never been to church before. But if you're saying, Stephen, that's what I want. At the end of the day, you need to know the price has been paid for peace between you and God. The, pen, the penalty has been paid. Jesus paid it on a cross. All you have to do is receive this gift. 
That's what he wants for you because the peace has been paid for. The peace has been paid for. All you have to do is accept it. It's a gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. And if you want to make that decision, let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. If you want to make that decision to invite Jesus into your heart, don't don't wait. Don't wait because the peace has been paid for. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again. If you want him in your life, don't wait. Do it today. And I'm gonna pray a prayer with you and these are not magic words. These are just calling out to God saying, yes, I want you in my life. Yes, I want you in my heart. And you can pray this out loud or you can pray this silently, either one. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I know that I've done wrong things. I know that I've sinned but I believe you love me anyway. I believe you sent your son to die for me. And I believe he arose from the grave. Please come into my heart and change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just made that decision, all all, all, all you need to do is just text text PRAY to 97,000 and we have a gift we wanna give you. We have a Bible and a, a book called My New Walk with God and some other things for you as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.